same chapter and go down to 46 through 49. And then we're going to go to 15. So I apologize in advance, God, for a couple of scriptures <laughs> that I wanted to bring to your attention. When you get to um, Acts 13, 2, say amen. Amen. Let's read the scriptures. Call your attention to them. Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 13, 46 through 49 reads, I'll give you a moment. Let me know when you're there. Say amen. 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 Acts 13, 46 through 49 says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. It was necessary to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, let that sink in. We now turn, say turn. turn. Say turn again. Turn. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed, say appointed, appointed. for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread through that region. Now let's go to Acts 4, I mean Acts 15, chapter, I mean Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. And then we're going to do 28 through 31 after that, okay? Let me know when you get there. Say amen. Just journey with me. Then some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul and Barnabas engaged these men in sharp debate. The two of them were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And let's go to 28 through 31 in chapter 15. And it reads, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these essential requirements. You must abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they assembled the congregation and delivered the letter. When the people read it, they rejoiced at his encouraging message. I want to give you a thought. The paradigm has shifted, and so should you. The paradigm has shifted, and so should you. Amen. Let me take your seats. What is a paradigm? First question. A paradigm is a framework or a pattern that has unwritten rules and direct action. I'll read it again. A paradigm is a framework or pattern that has unwritten rules and direct action. So then what is a paradigm shift? A paradigm shift happens when one paradigm loses its influence and another takes over. I'll read it again. A paradigm shift happens when one paradigm loses its influence and another takes over. Now, for people who don't know what a paradigm shift is, even at the definition, because I even had trouble um, dealing with this. I was I need some examples. So let's look at the world, and these are very, very simple. Um, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, we've shifted from typewriters to tablets. 
It's a paradigm shift. You can't go back to the typewriter. There's nobody that's saying you need to have a typewriter on your own, on your resume. They will scoff and laugh at you and put your um, the resume in trash. Uh, written letters to email. Sleepovers to live streams. Manual to automatic on uh, manual to automatic on automobiles. Um, home phones to cell phones. Cell phones to smartphones. Physical stores to the new way brings new challenges and successes the older way could not. So when the paradigm shifts, the one who perceives the shift gains a maximum benefit due to preparation. But those who complain and refuse to acknowledge the shift are left behind while the world continues on. Let me give you some practical examples of a person who took advantage of a, of a paradigm shift. And they're all on your phones right now. Who got an iPhone? iPhone folks, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs saw the times changing. I was in the cell phone industry when this happened. There was the Palm Pilot. Who remember Palm Pilot? Yeah, yeah Palm Pilots and Blackberries. That were the quote unquote smartphones of our day. Steve Jobs said, what about applications? And he pushed the market in a direction that changed the world as we know it. Now we have iPhones and now we have Android because of that. Android cell phones are a direct result of what happened with that particular paradigm shift. They saw it, they shifted, and they're billionaires. Let's give you another practical example. Who's on Facebook? We on Facebook right now. Mark Zuckerberg, paradigm shift. 2005, he started a small application. I was on the first wave. He, was, he sent the invitation and went to university. And we were able to sign up for Facebook, and all you could do was put a picture on it with like a headline. That was it. That's all you could do. That's it. And it, it continued to change the world. And he was ahead of the curve every single time because he saw the paradigm shift. He got ahead of it. And because he got ahead of it, he's reaping billions of dollars as one of the ones who maximized his benefit during the paradigm shift. But the text that we read, like how is it reflected in the text? Well, if you look at Acts, Acts is split into two parts. I won't say exactly down the middle, but it's pretty close. So Acts 1 through 12, the chapters, the narrative focused on Jerusalem the 12 apostles, the Jews, and the God-fearers. You can go through and read the testimony of even Peter, where like with the upper room, Holy Spirit filling the people in the upper room, them coming down, preaching, and it was to the Jews. But the paradigm shifted. The focus changed from what was familiar to new territories. In Acts 13, we see the focus change towards Paul and the Gentiles. This shift changed the way ministry was done. The message was no longer being delivered to the Jews only, but to all people. And I, I had to pause because I went back and listened to everybody's sermon. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a quick recap. Okay. Elder Jolo encouraged us to have faith going into the new territories. Mr. Simon reminded us that the Holy Spirit will empower us for the work, 
and we would need this power to fully understand the shift. Elder Brown reminded us to, to persevere in good works even if there is bitterness in the cup, giving God our nevertheless. Elder Hoskins reminded us to find the shifting point so that we can go forward and not backwards. Elder Stowe reminded us possible and impossible are, abs are not absolutes or truths, but that by faith, nothing is impossible. Bishop Jackson reminded us that we cannot change ourselves, but the Holy Spirit, but it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can be made into new creations. After considering these messages, the thought comes to my mind. It had to, I thought it was, I had to deal with it a lot stronger than I thought I would, but the Holy Spirit is wonderful. The thought comes to mind that because of the shift, we have reached a point of no return. We are at the changing of the time, saints. 2020, new decade, tail beginning of a new decade. We've already seen things change in the world and people, dynamics that we didn't have to consider. In the process of a paradigm shift, one must be ready to face new challenges and embrace new strategies to move the church forward. The church needs to listen to the Holy Spirit to know when to move and how to move in a changing world. I'm gonna give you three things to consider that will be practical to do during the paradigm shift. Well, since the paradigm has shifted, sorry, because this has already happened. Um, shift was an active word and shifting has already happened. So here's my first thing. Allow the Lord to use every part of you. Now, Elder Hoskins, when you were up here to, with, with the tithe and offering, I was whispering, don't preach my sermon. <laughs> but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is moving and is literally, the, the, we're seeing that the ideas and the things that the Lord has put in each one of us is actually coming out to speak the same message. And, and I, I'm, I'm so very grateful to see that happening. Um, but allow the Lord to use every part of you. So let's deal with the change of names real quick. Uh, in Acts um, 13.6, that is the first time in the whole Bible where Saul is called Paul. Why is that? Before that, chapters 1 through 12, he was just Saul. Saul of Tarsus. That was it. When he was converted, he was still Saul of Tarsus. Chapter 9 speaks of his conversion. Jesus called him Saul. So why is it that his name changed from Saul to Paul? What happened? What happened in this narrative that made this particular change? So I've heard this, and it's wrong, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you'll probably hear it again, but I'll just go ahead and spell it. There's been a lot of thought and, and a lot of work into saying that Paul, Saul's name changed to Paul because of his conversion. That's not true. It's not true. He didn't, change his, he didn't change his name, so to speak, because he got saved and said, I'm no longer Saul, I'm Paul. That's not what happened. That's not it. You see, Saul and Paul are the same guy, right? But it's also the same name. Bear with me for a moment, okay? He's a Roman. He's a Jew. But he's a Roman citizen. 
every Roman citizen had three names. Just like we do now, I'm Trevor Adonis Stevens. If you call me Adonis, I wouldn't be mad. It's my middle name. Saul had three names. So Saul was the Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Has anybody in here dealt with international students? Right? Now, you get a, I'm going to give you personal examples, and I don't, I don't know if they're going to be watching, but it's okay. Um, I have wonderful friends from China that um, one her name, her American name is Jennifer. Um, Fing is her Chinese name. Same person. Think about it. Over here, the difficulty of saying Fing would probably be a barrier for her that she wouldn't be able to overcome. But because she has the name Jennifer, she's able to maneuver in America a little bit easier. But when she goes back home, she's Fing. In that same manner, that's how Paul's name worked. While he was with Jews, he had a Jewish name, Saul, like King Saul in the Bible. He's from the Benjamin, on Benjamin tribe. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. So it made sense that they would name him something to honor their line. But when he's in Rome, his name changed or it shifted to being used as Paul because Paul was a more prominent Roman name. Now, he was born in Tarsus. Likely his father paid for his Roman citizenship. Uh, he probably had a formal education because he was able to battle with philosophers and Greeks in their own philosophy. Dope study. Acts, um, I think it's uh, Acts 17, yeah, Acts 17 through Acts 19, you see him use multiple, I think it's like six to seven Greek philosophers, words against the Epicureans and the Stoics and other people in their culture. Um, and then he was put into Jerusalem with Gamaliel, who um, was the one in Acts in the very beginning who actually uh, spoke up for John and Peter. Uh, Gamaliel raised Pharisees. So he was trained in that particular order. So how did Paul maximize his efforts to, to, to surrender into Jesus? The beautiful thing of this is that because of the way that he had, well, back up, because of his name as Saul in, in, um, in Jerusalem, there was a limited amount of influence that he had. There was a companion that went with him. You know, we, we got um, Acts 13, the very beginning said that the Holy Spirit said, sit apart from me, Barnabas and Saul. Holy Spirit know what he's doing. Now, Barnabas, to give you an explanation of him, his name was originally Joseph. He was named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, by the apostles. Barnabas was a rich man. You look it up in the Bible, he gave all his land away to the, to the apostles and to the saints. That meant he came from a family that had money. His cousin wrote the gospel of Mark, according to Mark, John Mark. Um, John Mark came from a very wealthy family. It's in the scriptures. Acts 11, should be? Yeah, like Acts 11. He, um, Peter was released from jail, and he came to John Mark's house, and there was a servant to open the door. In order for you to have servants, Gotta have some paper. So, 
Barnabas was from an affluent family in Jerusalem. When Paul was brought to the apostles, and I'm going to make my point in a minute, but I'm just giving you some, some context. When, when, Paul was, when Saul was brought to the apostles, they were afraid because the last time they saw him, he was persecuting Christians. The person who spoke up for him was Barnabas, and they listened to Barnabas. Saul didn't have that pull in Jerusalem. But the moment that they left Jerusalem and they got to Cyprus for the, starting the first mission trip, you'll see in the scriptures, now Barnabas and Saul, with Barnabas first, before chapter 12, and then after chapter 12, the paradigm shifted, and it was Paul and Barnabas. Very, very slight, small shift, but it's worth paying attention to because what that meant was that the Paul that we, that we know as the apostle of Gentiles, the reason why he was trusted with that is because he had influence, he had more energy and understanding in the European and Roman world. These are things that we have to consider. Let me give you a modern example. This is, I told Brandon this, and I was like, Lord, please forgive me. I hope this don't offend nobody. But <laughs> hood pass. You know what a hood pass is? Hood pass. H-O-O-D pass. Hood pass. You ain't never gotten? Let me tell you what a hood pass is. A hood pass. <laughs> a hood pass is when you go to a rough neighborhood and somebody vouches for you so that you don't get hurt and you don't get hemmed up. So you go to a neighborhood that you don't know and dudes that wish your set. You like. And the dudes now he with me, man. We good. All right, bet. Leave him alone. Hood pass. Hood pass. You probably heard this too. Um, you, you heard it, but you didn't know it was called a hood pass. Like, but that's hood pass. Because um, we pass that out to anybody that, 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 that proved that they worth our time in a particular sense. We may not call it a hood pass by ourselves, but we have passes that we pass out to people. You know, you hear some black folks say that person's invited to the cookout. Just saying, you know. Um, I want you to think about that. Like there, there is a level of trust that you're given to a person that is outside of your culture. Okay? So when you allow a person into your house and in your space to be around your family and things of that nature, that person has to be trusted. They can't just be anybody. You ain't letting anybody in your house. The hood ain't letting you in unless they know you. You got to be verified. Right? You can go to some neighborhood, you know, get my drift. Cops get called on you quick if somebody ain't with you. You have to remember that certain areas allot certain passes. So in that same manner, Barnabas had a pass in Jerusalem. I mean, yeah, Barnabas had a pass in Jerusalem that allowed him access to the Jews in a far greater capacity that Saul had. But once they flipped to the European world, Paul had to pass. And he was able to minister more effectively than Barnabas was able to because of that. So that shift, that small, it's a small shift. But it's something that, that we have to focus in on. Paul, Saul, same man. Two different things he was able to do. He could reach the Jews, but he could also reach the Gentiles. Every part of him was being used. 
that wasn't we have some i'm hoping we don't have any in the building but we got some folk that that got two personalities you know two different things that they normally do that has two completely different spheres of influence and because of that you can maneuver a little bit easier on one side and also on the other side so i have to remind you of this you know like that jesus can really use all of us in a shift just as Paul proclaimed about the tenacity of readiness during the paradigm shift in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20 through 23, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Hood pass. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. Hood pass. To those without the law, I became like one without the law man so that by all possible means I might save some so I do all this for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in his blessings allow the Lord to use all of you that's point one point two new challenges require true solutions not old mess now, this brings me to Acts 15.1. Very, very interesting bit of, um, bit of commentary here. We see in the text the Jews of, Jew of Judea stirred up trouble for the new converts because of the shift. In Acts 15.1, the Jews from Judea tried to add extra requirements for salvation. These were old ideas based on the law of Moses, but became a form of legalism in the Jewish community. In other words, the gospel is good, but, but, but it can be modified to make it a holier gospel. You see, the Jews still esteem Moses', Moses on teachings over Jesus because of their cultural hangups. And they refuse to see the Gentiles called by God without following their tradition. What they didn't realize was that it was already too late to return to a pattern that had been replaced. Sounds familiar? Bless you. Holiness Church. How many extra choirs they got to throw on you to say that the gospel is true? Puritan culture. How many more choirs we got to go through to be saved? Dress codes. People get judged by praise and worship. Or oh, that dude ain't praising. He ain't got G. He ain't got no Holy Spirit in him. Oh, they praising too much. Something wrong with them. Each additional burden brings people back into bondage and into a way that has no merit once compared to the freedom of the gospel. Many in our day judge a tree by how it looks rather than by the ability, by its ability to bear fruit. Jesus cursed the good-looking tree. Mark 11, 12, 20 through 25. Jesus approached the tree. It was a fig tree. It had leaves on it. It was a pretty looking tree. It's supposed to be bearing fruit, right? You got leaves on it. Like, okay, we can go over here and pick the, um, they said the thing, they said the buds on it were edible. Even if there wasn't a full bit of fruit, even the smallest bit of fruit was edible on a, on a fig tree. So Jesus walked into it, saw that, leaves, nothing on it, cursed the tree. They came back 
and it was shriveled up from its very root, completely and utterly destroyed. The only destruction miracle Jesus ever did was the fake stuff. Let that sink in. It's something that looks like something, but it ain't. It's the only miracle in the Bible where Jesus actually used destruction. Everything else was healing. He destroyed the tree. Cursed. Cursed be you. And Jesus warned us again in Matthew 9, 16 through 17, saying, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, and a worse tear will result. Neither do men pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will spill, and the wine skins will be ruined. Instead, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. Jesus points out how inappropriate it is to mix certain old things with certain new things. From the patch, for the patch will pull away from the garment and a worse terror result. The old wine put into even the jars were bursted because of the, um, the fermentation process. As it expands, not just wine skins, but clay jars, if they were old, they would explode if you put something new into something old. The world is changing. Say this with me, the world is changing. Do not be the one who hates the shift. It's already too late to go back. The Jews were, going, were doing too much to validate their old way, but not enough to see how God had already shifted from that pattern. Now get this, they traveled, I had to do some, I like doing this in my sermons because I, I like numbers. So they, were, they said they were men of Judea. Paul and them were in Antioch, okay? They had to travel from Judea. <laughs> they had to travel from Judea to Antioch. We're reading the scripture line, whatever. You know, it's probably a town over. No, no. 300 miles. 300 miles. Now, they had cars. You have to, like, take the, take the westernized lens off for a moment. Just, just go and put it, put it behind you just for a moment right now. Let's look at it through eastern eyes. They had donkeys which was normally the beast of burden for them, right? So 300 miles, had to do some math. All right, so the average traveler's day was 20 miles. 20. So that meant 15 days. These cats came from Judea with mess. Mess. <laughs> 300 miles? That's our trip to Virginia. Can you imagine being so stirred up and mess, trying to defend your position, that you would drive 300 miles? 300 miles tells my note, you need to be circumcised. Because, you know, we know Jesus died and raised from the dead, but, you know, Moses said that we need to be circumcised. So that's what you need to do to be saved. Mess. How many old things that people have been trying to add to the gospel 
How many? How many more things are we going to add? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. We didn't, we don't, Jesus didn't add anything extra. He was going, he died, he rose again, he ascended. <laughs> he hung on the cross, died, rose from the grave, and ascended. We don't need nothing else added on to that story. We don't need to say, well, Jesus wore purple cloth when he was on the cross. So if you ain't wearing purple cloth, then you ain't saved. Oh, well, you know, the, the old rugged cross wasn't really that rugged. Um, it was a little pretty, so we just going to throw these things on to make it look pretty. If you don't worship because of this, then you ain't saved. Well, you know what? That, that brother came in here, and he got on jeans and a T-shirt. How dare he? That brother ain't saved. That sister came in here with a miniskirt on. Something ain't right. She can't be saved. He drank a little drink a drink. Drink a drink, you know. I'm a 90s kid, yo. That was Martin. <laughs> little drink a drink, you know. Had a little bit of drink a drink. You know, that dude cannot be saved. He, he doing a little puffing on the side, you know what I'm saying? Getting the hair. He, he, he. There are things we have to call into line that people are works in progress. Lord have mercy. Do not allow your cultural hangups to cause you to be left behind. Shift. Third thing. Just bear with me. Your Gentiles. Your. Say your. your. Say your again. Your. your Gentiles need you to be ready for the paradigm shift. You see, the life that you have is not just for yourself, but for the work of ministry. Your Gentiles are waiting on you to move along with the paradigm shift. What do I mean by your Gentiles? A Gentile was defined in Latin as a gen. That's what we get the word generations, which stood for clans or tribes. A Gentile is defined in our modern context as anyone who is not in the body of Christ. We got plenty of Gentiles around us. But the same Gentile can be made into a joint heir to the promise and become family. There are areas where you can minister that I cannot. The Lord is so strategic in how he elected us. He knew who we would impact. He knew what we were like. He knew our occupations. He knew our influences. He knew our interests. And he's using those to maximize your impact for the Gentiles that you are called to. We each have a people group or a culture. You know, we predominantly his black folk. We get things in the black culture that folk don't particularly get outside of our culture. The same can be said about white people and Hispanics and Asians. There are certain things in their culture that if we intrude in that, like we were talking about with Saul and, um, and, um, and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas, when you intrude in that, you might not be received as well. 
Jonathan's writer, excellent one at that, John writes. Um, I got you. Uh, <laughs> no, he's an excellent writer, far greater than me. So if I need to do a paper that needs a person to copyright and to, and to understand how to write it to a delegation of people that I don't know, and I did it on my own, knowing that I had a resource sitting in front of me that has far greater arm in that place, what am I going to pass him by? We have to consider these things. We have been called to be ambassadors. The ambassadors are called for different nations, even in the United States. There are certain people that go to certain provinces and certain ones that don't. They even get it, that the paradigm has shifted. They're like, we can't send this dude over here. We need to send him because he gets it. How many people have, uh, have gotten a job because you understood something that somebody else did not? The paradigm has shifted. The kingdom needs the ambassadors of Jesus to be ready to find their Gentile. Because Paul and Barnabas were intentional and ready to move when the paradigm shifted, they were able to activate those who were appointed for eternal life. In the very beginning in Acts 13, 49, it records, Luke records, and all those who were appointed unto eternal life. That should give you pause. That there's people around you that have not been activated. All around you. Because you have not opened up your mouth. You have not lived the life you were supposed to live. All around you, they're staring at you. Because they know that the Holy Spirit rests in you. They're like, why in the world you? There was a, this is off the, the sermon, but I think it's also wonderful to talk about. So there was a pal, a, he's a doctor, um, he's, a, he's a missionary. He said something that blew our minds away. He said, um, do you know the number one reason why people don't come to the faith um, for Christianity? We are thinking, oh, you know, false doctrine, stuff. He said, no, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. When they sat down and dealt with multiple people before they like before and after they came to the faith, they did like a poll, like ten thousand people, that were recent converts, and they asked, they're like, you know, were you confronted by people who, who were Christians? And they said, absolutely, every day. And um, when they got to the final answer, which was, okay, so in that case, did they ever ask you, for a decision, to come to the faith? They said no. something to consider we don't ask you get not but you ask not the immediacy of their attention talking about Paul and Barnabas to the heresy of the Jews they were able to retain the brothers and encourage and strengthen them rather than leave them abandoned and rejected how many times have we seen heresy, false teachings, rise up, and we were silent? How many times? Prosperity gospel shouldn't got no legs in the black community. It shouldn't have, it's destroyed homes. We're dealing with the fallout right now, the paradigm has shifted. There are more black children leaving church now than there ever was because 
they were raised with wrong instruction and nobody fought for them. We are in crucial times. We have so many causes to fight for and not enough direction. Some are for good, some are evil, the skies is good. But when the Holy Spirit calls you out, he can direct you even in crucial and ever, he can, sorry, he can direct you even in crucial and in ever-changing times to reach those he has sent you to find. Just as the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas during the paradigm shift, and he shifted from the Jews to the Gentiles, he will equip us also for the purpose of finding the lost. And those who are appointed for eternal life, we will find and rejoice. We rejoice together at what the Lord is doing. I know this is somber, and that's, that's why it was a little hard for me. But do not be dismayed or discouraged because the world is changing. See God at work. Every change brings the world closer to understanding the knowledge of who he is. Think about this. Scientifically, in multiple years of research and study that actually helps us understand how people actually think. We have people who did not know how to zoom into the cosmos. They didn't even know how the celestial items in the air looked like. They didn't know. They didn't know what the space looked like. They're like, oh, it's just a blackboard and stuff is out there. But now we're able to zone in and see the handiwork of God. So much so that science is not as much of a tool against the faith. It's a tool for faith. It's just baffling. It's baffling scientists right now. The further they dig, the more they're like, how in the world this cannot be done by happenstance? There has to be a divine creator. The further they dig. So while the world is changing, the world is coming closer to understanding who God is. And the beauty of being in that moment is that you are already in the kingdom. You don't need extra instruction to tell you that God is real. God is real. He's real to us. He's high and lifted up. His ways are beyond our ways. Each of us have been called at this very point in time, at this very place, to contribute to the shift. Do not be pulled into the patterns that dress the truth in cheap clothes. The paradigm has already shifted, and it's too late to turn back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. What? Say it again. No turning back. Move forward in faith and be guided by the Holy Spirit to do his good work and to accomplish what he has called you to do. And remember, fun quote, 
Be ready for change before change changes you. God bless you.